Well, good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Isn't it great to be, aren't you glad you're not stuck in Florida this morning? It's good to be with you. Uh, the, I want you to know that it's uh, sunny and balmy uh, 10 kilometers down the road. Uh, but uh, it was good. good drive in this morning. Thank you. I know some of you mentioned you were praying for me, and I appreciate that. Uh, let's pray. Let's pray. Thank you, Alberto and worship team for leading us to the throne. Uh, let's pray, and we're going to jump in. Father God, we could not earn it, and we don't deserve it. And yet you lavishly pour out upon us your love. And we are grateful that you are our God and we are your people. So Father God, minister amongst us this morning. Uh, may you sit upon your throne. We've come to declare the worship of you because you are a great God above all others, incomparable. And so we've come. And so Father, help me anoint my lips and clarify my thinking and uh, may the message I bring this morning be uh, completely of you. And may you be pleased with it in every regard. So help me. I need your help, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. And all of his children said, amen, amen. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 16. As we continue in our series in the upper room, this we know. And we've got uh, today and then one more Sunday and uh, then I am uh, starting a new series with you. I'm not here for one Sunday, and then I'm going to be with you for a little while longer, which tells me that you're desperate. Um, so, uh, so I'm going to be with you for another couple months. We're going to do a series. Can I say this, Pastor James? We're going to do a series on the book of Ruth. And I love the book of Ruth because we talk all the time about men. And it's a beautiful book. There's some beautiful themes in there and some really helpful things on living. And uh, it's going to be a good time. We're going to have a good time as we journey through the book of Ruth. It's just a fantastic, fantastic story. And uh, do you have a library here in this church? You probably have uh, like a Harlequin Christian romance on the book of Ruth in there, right? Because those seem to be popular. Okay, I'm kidding around, okay? It creates a bit of nervous laughter. The message this morning is it all turns out right. It all turns out right. We're in the upper room. Jesus is meeting with his disciples. The time there is coming to a close. And Jesus turns in his speaking to the disciples. And he wants to address, if you will, the elephant in the room. That he's leaving. And that causes a degree of consternation and agitation amongst those guys. Have you ever been in a crisis? Have you ever been in a crisis? Maybe you're in a crisis right now. When our youngest son was born 25 years ago in Atlanta, we had only been living there for a year. We didn't have family there. We had some new friends there, of course, but I took my wife in to deliver him. The delivery was very difficult. There was problems after he was born. He had significant breathing issues, and the neonatologist brought me into a room and sat me down and he said, your son's really having some, some difficulties. He's been put in the neonatal intensive care unit and uh, he's got lung issues, he's having breathing problems. And I had noticed that because when I was around him, he, when he breathed, he went, ha, ha. And uh, it was like, I was like, well, that's not normal. And so uh, he, said, he said, these may last a day, these may last a week, the, this issue may last the rest of his life. And I said, when he breathes, he sounds like a duck. And he said, you're right. 
he does. And so we, we named him Donald. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Okay. I'm kidding. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I drove home and I said, God, what do I do? Like, I don't know what to do. What do I do? I, I'm crying out to you. I, this is a crisis. I'm on my own. I don't have family here. Cheryl's still in the hospital. And what do we do? What do we do? And, you know, when you're in a crisis, have you ever noticed that time loiters? Stand still. John chapter 16. Let's read the text. We're going to begin at verse 16. This is the words and voice of our Lord Jesus. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. Reference to resurrection. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Of course, Jesus is talking about going to the cross. Reference to the resurrection, he will ascend and his physical presence will be no more amongst them. And when people leave this earth, have you noticed it? It does put us into a bit of, bit of a whirlwind, doesn't it? I, I mentioned to you, I think last Sunday, that I was planning the service of 102.3-year-old man. It sounds like an FM radio station, doesn't it? 102.3. He was our first missionary at the church I pastored. Went out in 1949, loved Jesus, was the aroma of Christ in every regard. His funeral was yesterday. Did his funeral. It was amazing. And you know, when you're 102.3 and you, you know, he used to say to me, I'm in the departure lounge. I wish the plane would take off. Right? He had a magnificent sense. And as he got older, he got sweeter and more gracious and more godly. And it was just a delight to watch. And so yesterday we had this amazing celebration. But I can tell you, I've been there when somebody's departed and it's unimaginably painful. I remember a day standing in pouring rain as a dad carried the casket of his little baby boy in his arms and set it on the grave. And I was like, Lord, I, I just want to weep. I just want to weep. But I, I got to say something that's hopeful and helpful to this family and those gathered around this grave. I've been there and done the, the funerals of suicides and children. And you're just like, Lord, time is loitering. Where do we turn? What do we do? Let's keep reading. Verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. Remember that. Nobody can take your joy. You have to give it up. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give you until you. Now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. Last few words. That your joy may be full. Jesus gives this very powerful and practical analogy of the immediate despair that the disciples are going to face in the hours ahead. And, you know, he talks about this woman giving birth. The pain is increasing. Think of Christ in the analogy. Th think of Thursday and then into Friday. The pain for him is increasing. And then the birth comes. It's her hour. Th that, that's Christ's hour, his death. The hinge point of all of human history. 
And then Saturday comes. And then Sunday comes. And our joy is full. But I probably don't need to tell you, if you've lived a little while, that often life is lived on Easter Saturday. Isn't that right? You you may be feeling a, a really strong sense that you're living in Easter Saturday. Like, you're a Christian. You know what Christ has done for you. And as Alberta led us this morning, you know, you've come to him. You found new, Christ, uh, new life in Christ. And, and, but right now, you are in Easter Saturday. You know how the story ends, that, that your joy may be full. Sorrow lingers for a day, but joy comes when? In the morning. But, but you're on Easter Saturday, and life, friends, largely often is Easter Saturday. Verse 25. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I have come from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe you came from God. And then Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Life often, sometimes, is lived on Easter Saturday. So where do you find joy on Easter Saturday? Where do you find joy on Easter Saturday? Well, first, I would suggest that you find joy in knowing what we've just sung about, which is the immensity of God's love. The immensity of God's love. God's love is mentioned in Scripture three times more than God's judgment. Now, make no mistake, God is a God of judgment. He judges sin. But his love is so profound Let me just remind you from Romans chapter 8. You can turn there if you have your Bible, but I'll just read. The Apostle Paul writing the greatest book of doctrine of the New Testament, beginning at verse 31 of Romans 8. Hear the word of the Lord. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That may be the greatest rhetorical question ever said. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus is praying for you today. Did you know that? It's amazing. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, he's referring back to Psalm 44, okay? For your sake we are being killed all the day long. See, Easter Saturday. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure... In the original language, Paul says, I would stake my life. That's the emphasis of this in the Greek. I am absolutely certain that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Wow. 
How do we find it? The text tells us, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We sang a song there, Reckless Love. When that song first came out a few years ago, I was pastoring, and I got a few emails. My wife says, you do that, but you can't type that fast. You type like this. <laughs> and people said, uh, Pastor Steve, uh, you know that song? Uh, I don't like it that reckless is attributed to God. God's not reckless. So I thought, well, you know, okay, let me think. Do you know what the word reckless means? It means with complete disregard to what other people think. God's love is reckless. Because when people look at me, and if you could look at a panorama of my life, you would say to yourself, rightly so, why would God love Steve Adams or anybody else? Why would God love you? Because he is, he doesn't care what other people think. He loves you unconditionally, relentlessly, fully, daily. Isn't that a great thing? Are you kidding me? Amen, yeah. Amen to that. And it's seen and demonstrated and manifested and made so tangible and tactile through the life and death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Look, I encourage you, church, to look every day for how God is loving you. Secondly, how do you find joy on Easter Saturday? Well, you have joy by knowing and resting in the reality of Christ. And I want you to think in terms of the word of God here, in the reality of Christ. In John chapter 2, in fact, if you have your Bible, turn over to John chapter 2 quickly. John chapter 2, verse 18. Let me read. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? This is the religious highbrows. Verse 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, and I think they probably said this laughing, <laughs> really? I mean, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you'll raise it up in three days? Come on. Really? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. But they still did not fully get it, even at the garden tomb. Those disciples, Peter and John, arrived there, and they look in there, and he is not there. And John chapter 20, verse 9 tells us, For as yet they did not understand the scripture. They couldn't put it together, that he must rise from the dead. They're like, what, what in the, somebody's taken the body. What in the world has happened? But then John adds in verse 22, When therefore he was raised from the dead... His disciples remembered what he had said. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus has spoken. See, Jesus was speaking to the disciples here in the, in the upper room and way back here in John chapter 2, pre-crucifixion and pre-resurrection and pre-the spirit of truth that he's promising is going to come. And they just didn't get it, right? There's no precedent in their experience. Only in their scripture is their reference, but they still couldn't put all that together. They didn't get it, at least in this upper room. They didn't get it. That's all of this confusion. Why? What are you talking about? But then they came to be so ardently committed to Christ because they fully embraced, post-ascension, the fullness of the completely faultless truth that Christ spoke. So convinced that they would die for the cause. They would rest in the reality of a risen Christ in whatever came. And if you want to have joy, friends, in the midst of Easter Saturday, you have to rest in the reality of Christ as made manifest in his word. And let me ask you this morning, did you, did you, did you take time to rest in the joy and center yourself on words of truth from Jesus? Words like, I am with you always. Abide or, or live in my love. 
come to me all who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Are you tired today? Are you, are you threadbare today? How about I am the good shepherd? Can, can you lie down next to the good shepherd See, these disciples didn't get what was going on. Jesus said in verse 25, I said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. But but friends, we can open this book and get the truth straight up. And you can rest in the truth of what Christ has promised in light of his ability to fulfill his promises. But friends, let me just tell you, if you don't open this book... If you have to look for your Bible on Sunday morning, because you haven't seen it since last Sunday, you will be spiritually and emotionally anemic, without a doubt. There's a powerful illustration of this in a verse that we've never fully, I don't think, embraced. We talk about it. We hear about it often when we're in Sunday school, as we're growing, if you've grown up in church, it's Hebrews 4.12. You'll know the verse. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. You heard that verse before? Yeah. Oh, you know, sometimes somebody gets out a sword and does a demonstration. But then it, it goes on to say this, piercing through the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We, we tend to focus on the first part, don't we? But the second part of that verse is the how. And that's profoundly important and incredibly helpful, especially on Easter Saturday times of life piercing to the division of soul and spirit. See, the soul is the immaterial essence of the natural person. Now, atheists say, oh, there's no such thing. It doesn't exist. And, and, then, and, and, and then they use the term mind. And you say, okay, uh, is the mind the same as the brain? And then they're kind of stumped. Then they move on. The, the soul is, the, is, is part of us. It's the supernatural part that Christ imparts upon us new in life in Christ. And and then there's this parallel analogy, soul and spirit, to joints and marrow. See that in the text? I've read it from the text. It's in Hebrews 4. You can mark that down and look it up later. The joint is the rugged, hard exterior part of the anatomy. And I should say the soul is the rugged, hard exterior part of the anatomy. But the spirit is in the marrow. And interestingly, it's in the marrow, if you know anything about human physiology, that it's the marrow that you find life. In fact, the Bible tells us that, interestingly, like it tells us everything we need to know in Leviticus 17, 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, bone marrow produces approximately 500 billion blood cells per day which used the bone marrow vasculature as its conduit to the body's systemic circulation. And bone marrow is also a key component of the lymphatic system that supports your immune system. Without blood, you die. Without an immune system, disease will certainly overtake you, right? We've heard that in COVID, right? If your immunity is compromised, you've got to be exponentially more careful. See, see the, word, the, the picture, the word of God is alive. And when you get into it, and it gets into you, it pierces into the places in your soul and spirit. If you are a Christ follower, it reveals with power and presence that you have life. And it gives you the ability to fight off the malady of sin that this world bombards you with every day. 
the word of God. Hence the last part of the verse, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It orients you into where you stand before God and convicts you. And when you're living on the Easter Saturday of life and you have doubt and fear and temptation, the, world, the word will manifest to you that you are alive and safe in the Lord Jesus when everything else is coming undone. You're a new creation and with power and God's presence and believe it or not, on Easter Saturday, even joy can come. And as Jesus said, nobody can take it from you. Let me say this here, verse 12 in Hebrews there that I read says the word of God. Now that takes a couple different forms in the scripture, the word of God. It can be the word given and scribed down, right? But it can also, and this is, this is our foundational word of God, but it can also mean the word of God spoken to you, spoken into your life by another, where you just sense that that's from God. Uh, a number of years ago, I, uh, when I was pastoring, I went to a, a discouraging period in my life and ministry, and I was, I was pretty discouraged. And uh, I remember it was January, and uh, you know, I, I had, I don't know, I had the, like the winter blues, and, and I was, I was kind of discouraged. I was putting on a, you know, you know kind of, how you doing, pastor? Oh, hey, I'm doing great. I'm a pastor. But on the inside, I was discouraged. I was discouraged. And then uh, Super Bowl Sunday came along. Now, take a look at me. You know that I'm not an athlete, but I love chicken wings. Uh, so Super Bowl Sunday is a, a pretty, pretty important thing. But Super Bowl Sunday came along, and uh, I, I could care less about the football game, like most of you. And, uh, but Super Bowl and you know, I had people, friends and whatnot, talking about you know, Super Bowl parties, and I wasn't invited to any Super Bowl party. And for some reason, because I, I was already feeling kind of, you know, I, it kind of bugged me. And uh, so Super Bowl Sunday came along, and we actually had kids programs on Sunday night. And uh, somebody came to me, and they said, we want you to go and speak to the grade three and four-year-olds on Sunday night. It happened to be Super Bowl Sunday, and, and so, you know, I thought, well, that's why I'm not invited, because God had this assignment for me. Yeah, right. Anyway, I, I, you know, I just couldn't get my head around that. But I'll tell you, God did have something for me. So I went and I spoke to the three and four-year-olds. Their attention span is about 3.2 seconds. So, you know, and they're, you know, picking their noses and doing things like that while you're trying to, you know, talk. And so I talked to this little class and, you know, and it was all done. And the teacher said, oh, thank you, Pastor Steve. And all the, say thanks to Pastor Steve. And they all said, but, and I left, right? I walked out, I walked out of the hall and I was going home, Super Bowl Sunday night, I'm going home. I'm walking down the hall and a little voice yells pastor steve and i turned around and when i turned around i heard somebody yell mason got out of the class mason get back here it was a little guy about four years old named mason he was a foster kid in one of the families in our church and i turned around i looked down the hall i said yes mason and with that he took off and he ran up to me and he looked up and i looked down and i said yes mason you're supposed to be in your class he said i know but pastor steve i love you i knew you were going to do that and I looked down at him and I said, <laughs> you know, God's love spoke to me in that moment through a foster kid named Mason. So beautiful. Wow. God's love is manifested to you in so many different ways. Please look for it. Look for it. Number three, I can find joy on the Easter Saturdays and the ultimate hope that is found through Christ saving me. We didn't read the last two verses there that I want to read in chapter 16, verses 32 and 33. Let me read those for you now, okay? 
Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. This is Christ. He's on the verge of his death, right? When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Remember what happens at the cross. These disciples that, you know, they want to be the greatest. They're all in, and they go, whew. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. And so every day, and especially on Easter Saturdays, remind yourself first that Christ is alive and in me. The joy of his presence, right? Galatians 2.20, we are crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives, where? In me. The joy of his presence, because he saved us and he's indwelt us. And he is with us and he never leaves us. And secondly, the joy of Christ's power. Christ will meet all of my needs, right? We all know Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ who what strengthens me. Right? That's the joy of Christ's power in our life. And then there's the joy of Christ's peace. Christ wins and so do I. Right? That's the way this thing ends. Did you know that? Christ wins and so do I. See, that's what verse 33 is all about. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace because I'm actually going to win. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It's already been done. I've already won, even though I'm going to the cross. When I read this passage in John 16, you know, my mind, you know, this part about the woman giving birth and, and the tribulation of that and the, you know, and then yet the joy comes. My mind goes back to an experience that I had about 20 years ago. I was in a little village in northern Spain with a group of people I'd taken on a missions trip. And I was staying in a little church sort of a camp building in this little remote village. It's like the clock had stopped in this little town a hundred years ago. And they still, you know, had sheep come through in the morning with shepherds taking them out into the hills of northern Spain there. And I mean, it was just an amazing place. One night, we're in this little building, a few of us sitting around just chatting and whatnot, and there's a knock on the door, and at the door is a teenage girl and her brother, who's a little bit younger, and they're speaking Spanish, quite, you know, kind of agitated, to the pastor, Manuel, and talking away, and, and, and he goes, oh, oh, yeah, and he's talking, and I'm sort of standing at a distance, and I'm listening, and... Uh, and he turns around and he said, I, I, I think, I think, Pastor Steve, they want you. I said, they want me? I don't even know them. He said, well, they, they said there's a Canadian here that knows about cows. <laughs> well, <clears throat> the truth of the matter is, the only thing I know about cows is I like steak. Okay, that's about the only thing. But what had happened was, a couple days before, I'm walking out in this village, and kind of kitty corner to this little church building is a house, and in these little villages, it, it, it's like the ancient Near East, where they actually keep the cattle in the backyard. And in the morning, the farmer takes his cattle out to his fields. It's not like our farm system here. And he grazes them, and then he brings them back, and they're literally in the backyard of the house. So I'm in this village, and I walk, and he had just brought the cows in, and there was a low kind of a, a brick fence. And I looked over, and he looked back, and he started speaking in Spanish to me, and I know poquito espanol, enough to get myself in all kinds of trouble. And he's telling me about, uh, I think it's vaca, vaca, who speaks Spanish? Cow? Cow? 
Vaca, Vaca, yeah. And uh, so he says, uh, you know, and then he says, you know, and I, I realize he asked me where my home is, and I say Canada. Oh, Vaca are from Canada. The cows were from Canada. Okay, that's, he had bought embryos or I don't know. Anyway, okay, so all of that had translated into, I knew I was an expert on cows. So the, so the farmer and his wife had went into the large city, which was an hour and a half, two hours away for the night, and the brother and sister came over because one of the cows was in trouble having a calf. And the father had told them at dinner, there's a man across the street and he's an expert in cows from Canada. <laughs> you kidding me? So Manuel says, do you know a lot about cows? Not much. He says, well, they're having a, a, they're having a, a, a calf there, and they're, the cow's in trouble, and they thought that they, maybe you'd be able, I said, well, I took the breathing class when my wife had children, but that's about it. So I went across the street, and I, get, and I walk around, and they open the gate, and I took three, you know, two or three other people with me. We went, I said, well, we got to go over. we got to try and do something. So we went over, we went in and around, and they opened the gate, and we literally stepped into the backyard. Now I think you know what I'm talking about. Okay, I mean, it's, it's and we're, and, you know, like, they're in wellies, they're in rubber boots. We're in, like, sandals. <laughs> it's nasty, okay? So we're in the back, so they're talking, and Manuel says, they need two or three at the back and one person at the front. I said, I got the front, right? <laughs> I got the front. So they said, you got to hold the head of the cow like this, because the cow wants to lie down, and you got to, we got to keep her standing while we try and get the calf. So I said, okay, I'm at the front holding the cow, the cow's looking at me, I look at the cow, and I said, senora, por favor. Uh, so I'm holding the cow, and you know, and uh, so all of a sudden, it starts calving there at the back. I can't see, I don't want to see. I'm holding the face, I'm looking, I'm trying, I said, breathe in your nose, out your mouth, or whatever. And uh, so I'm trying to get, help her along, and uh, finally at the back, they yell, uno mas, uno mas, uno mas. You know what that means? One more push, one more push, and we got a calf, right? So I say to the cow, Uno mas, uno mas, uno mas. Come on, you can do it. Uno mas. And the cow lets out this. Okay? And shoots that calf. Like, deliver. The same time that calf comes out, out of the nose of that cow, comes maybe two liters. I don't know. Of stuff. <laughs> now remember what I'm doing. Uno mas, uno mas. I can't even look at fruit bottom yogurt. The taste is just about the same. And I mean, I had it on my glasses, I had it in my hair, had it on my face. One of the guys at the back, he was a Southern Baptist guy, you know, and some of them are wound up pretty tight. And he said, he said, Brother, you're covered in nasal mucus. That's what he said to me. And it was nasty. I mean, it was, oh, man. And so I became, as we walked back, and I had this stuff all over me, I became sort of, you know, the target of a lot of the jokes, right? I laid in bed in that little building in the bunk beds. I was in the bottom. I laid in that bed that night. And sometimes you go through an experience, and God laser beams into your heart and soul. And I'm lying there. And I'm thinking, that was, a, that was really, you know, I probably got to throw those shoes away. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the Spirit of God spoke to me in such a profound way. 
And it was like, of course, Jesus, you stepped out of the glory of heaven, the majesty of the most highs, right into a place like that. You, you, you came out of the glory upon glory. You stepped out of heaven and you came to a, a, a place like that, a, a livestock yard to be laid in a feed trough. The glorious King Jesus, you did that for us. The question is, why? Why would you do that? The Apostle Paul knows why. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, so that through him you would become rich. Do you know how rich you are in Jesus? Do you know how rich you are in Jesus? You see, friends, one day when the world is coming apart, the Easter Saturdays of this world, when the world is coming apart and cancer is killing people and marriages are crumbling and crazy people are killing themselves and others over religion and kids are hurting themselves to escape the pain and drug dealers are killing people for personal profits and suicide is all too common and the prisons are bulging and the single moms are struggling to make ends meet and deadbeat dads are at their worst and corporate greed is at its best and Satan is on the cusp of declaring victory and all hope seems lost and good seems God gone and God seems silent on one day a voice will echo through the hallways of hallowed heaven and that voice will say one word enough enough and then he's coming back and there will be a reckoning at the graveside yesterday I read Revelation 21, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Looking forward to that day? Man, I am. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed. See, you have to be really sensitive and incredibly gentle and absolutely trustworthy to wipe away every tear because the eye is afraid of everything. And every person on earth that day will say, not in a trite way or an irreverent way or a flippant way, every person on earth will say, oh, my God. And if you are a follower of Jesus, that will be the best day you have ever experienced because you realized you win. You win. And Easter Saturday becomes the fullness of joy. Let me read John 16, 32, 33 from the message as I close. Peterson's paraphrase. Same verses that we read. The words of Jesus speaking to his disciples, speaking to us. In fact, you're about to make a run for it. Saving your own skins and abandoning me, but, but I'm not abandoned. Jesus says, the Father is with me. I've told you all of this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart because I have conquered the world. You are from God, brothers and sisters. We are his children, and greater is he who is in you than anything in this world. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Father, you are so great and so good. Father, I know that in a room with this many people in it, in the world in which we live, some here are very much feeling that they're living on Easter Saturday today. And maybe their joy has been taken away 
Father, invite them. Encourage them to take it back in the reality that you love us so much, in the reality that you have saved us, in the reality that you are in us and you are greater than anything that can come towards us or defeat us. We love you, Lord. And we know this day, by way of your word, that everything is and will turn out right and for your glory. Amen and amen.